When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. He's made himself into a really, really good football player just through uh, sheer one two and obviously some God given ability. But a tremendous work ethic, and uh, he does have he does have some nasty to him. And he this is a guy that wants to win at any cost. Myron Metcalf back here on Purple Daily on Score North, scorenorth.com with Manny Hill. Uh, that was Gary Hahn, play-by-play man for North Carolina, North Carolina State, talking about Garrett Bradbury, the number eighteen pick in the twenty nineteen NFL Draft by the Minnesota Vikings, uh, a guy who I think is clearly Manny going to change this offensive line. Um, I, I'm going to be a Garrett Bradbury fan uh, <laughs> for life, and I probably sold already. Well, I, I probably should have expressed this bias in the first hour of the show, but um, we've got the same birthday. I found. Oh, out. okay. There we uh, go. Garrett's there June 20th. Go. I'm June 20th. I mean, we're separated by a few <laughs> years, but uh, we're, we're both Gemini's. Let me tell you something about Gemini's. Watch out. We're, we're coming to take over the world. So I've heard. Uh, you know, we're, we're mysterious. <laughs> we're a little temperamental some, sometimes, but you know what? We get the job done. And I, when I found out we shared a birthday, I automatically just decided, okay, I, I got to. Garrett Bradbury, it's meant to be for me to be talking about him <laughs> the morning after the draft. It just, it just, it's just fate. It's destiny, Manny. Has to be, right? Yeah, I would think so. I mean, if you right? share the same birthday, you share the same work ethics share the same personalities and, everything and all of that stuff yeah so i would think uh if you if you share the same birthday like that you've got to be there's got to be some sort of reason for you guys to be very similar and for you to be a fan of him so well and think about the possibilities the birthday boys uh podcast on score north right just an idea i'm throwing out here making it up off the top of my head uh and if we get dk metcalf think about the possibilities there we're talking about franchises here, Manny. Things that could happen with the Minnesota Vikings uh, if they get DK Metcalf. Obviously, Garrett Bradbury and I, we share uh, the same birthday. Uh, Matthew Collar is in studio. Um, Hello, Myron. I share a birthday with Jeff Conine. Really? Mr. Marlin. How's that? How do you like it? I mean, that's cool. Uh, I, it's yeah, not Garrett Bradbury you know, cool. You know what I like about it is that it's unique. I mean, it, yeah. it's not someone super obvious, but everyone knows Mr. Marlin. And I think um, Helen Keller too. Me and Helen Keller, same birthday. Oh, that's that's a unique. I don't know. Who, I mean, I don't really have a big birthday. Well, now Garrett Bradbury. Oh, just search it. Yeah, I bet you'll find some great birthday bros. I should look. 
I should look. What Garrett Bradbury, everybody's saying the same thing, right? This is an A, a grade of an A. What do you give? What's great? Did well, you give? Yeah, I, I would give it in terms of the player that they got, the caliber prospect combined with the fit, I would have to give it an A because this is an area of extreme need when you play in the NFC North to be good on the interior of your offensive line. And boy, we saw that last year, didn't we? Uh, But when you're going up against Akeem Hicks and Snacks Harrison and Mike Daniels, Kenny Clark, you're, you're facing a murderer's row of interior defensive linemen. And now to improve in that area is a big deal. For somebody who's a mature player already, uh, Garrett Bradbury is going to be 24 years old when his birthday comes. Whenever, when is his birthday? Our birthday. Your birthday. June 20th. Yeah. Okay. June 20th. It's oh, our birthday. You and I yeah, are away. I'm refer, 27th. Well, refer refer to it as our birthday. Okay. Now we talk uh, about Gary Bradbury. Yes, our birthday. Okay. <laughs> but but when he he hits uh, the field for the 2019 football season, he'll be 24. Which is, I mean, so you've got a mature football player who's uh, had some years to build up the strength to face these guys. So you could see this not only being a player who's with you for a long time, but also the immediate impact that they needed. If there was a a criticism, it would be nitpicking, but you could make the criticism that they could have traded down and either had Bradbury or Andre Dillard still if they they moved back. But that's kind of nitpicking because they got their guy. Matthew, I know obviously this is we see this with running backs and wide receivers where versatility, the value of versatility continues to increase. Our offensive linemen trending in that direction as well where being interchangeable, being versatile is becoming more of a, a need than a want uh, in the NFL? Yeah, I think what you find is tackles can usually play left or right, but if someone's been a left tackle for a long time and you ask them to move to right, that might be a little tough. Or if someone's been a tackle for a long time and you just say, okay, now go play guard, that's hard, as we saw from Mike Remmers. And it's kind of important to me that they didn't have to do that with Riley Reef because that would have been rolling the dice if they had drafted a left tackle and moved Riley Reef to guard for someone who's played left tackle for such a long time. Even when Reef played right tackle, it was a bit of a struggle for him when he was with Detroit. So I think that when you're entrenched in a position, it is hard to move. But for the most part, a lot of these guys get work at multiple positions when it comes to college. So even a guy who's going to potentially be on the board at 50 for the Vikings in the second round here, Dalton Reisner, he's played tackle, he's played center. So you know that you could start him off on a path and then stick with that. And we have seen some of the benefits for the Vikings. Joe Berger was a really good center and a really good guard. And uh, Nick Easton was a better guard than he was a center for the Vikings. And now with Pat Elfline, I think there's a good chance that Pat Elfline is a better guard than he is a center for the Vikings. Now he can uh, not have those guys, those powerful uh, defensive linemen lining up right over top of him as a guard and he can use his movement skills and I would still be high on what Pat Elfline can be as an offensive lineman assuming that he will move to guard with Garrett Bradbury being drafted here. Kyle tell me if I'm wrong on this I'm wrong a lot um, on different things Um, so running backs I'm 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 kind of anti second and third round running backs just because for me you're either a first-round running back, and there aren't many of them, or you're a later-round guy. The, the production of a running back in today's NFL, for me, you're going to get the same out of potentially a fifth- or sixth-round guy as a third-round guy. I just don't think it's that different in most cases. There obviously are exceptions. But let's say a Miles Sanders is there. Let's say he continues to fall. He's there at 50. If I'm the Vikings, I would like that pick. I think he's a really good running back who was overshadowed by 
the, the Saquon Barkley effect and everything that he did, and he was sort of overlooked. But if you get a David Montgomery, you know, if, with your 81st pick, if he's still there, I don't know that there's a huge separation between those guys. I mean, in terms of running backs, how should the Vikings approach today and tomorrow? Yeah, I think third round is a hot spot. Second round, you could get a significant impact player still with the way that this draft played out in the first round. You mentioned DK Metcalf, but did any of us think he would get out of the first round? Uh, well, he's I, an Instagram model, basically, it, it, now, right? Like that's yeah, it's crazy to have. An eight-pack, though. That shouldn't be a lot. <laughs> uh, no. I, as uh, you and me and Manny have zero packs, uh, eight, eight is just rubbing it in. But, uh, but with uh, you know, DK Metcalf is one of about five or six players that people did not expect to get out of the first round. So a lot of those guys are going to get taken. Early second-round talents get bumped down. The Vikings should have a choice, and there are going to be... And I, I know that people don't like when Mike Zimmer drafts corners. There are going to be some good corners at 50. So I think there are stronger positions. Maybe another offensive line. Maybe a cornerback here. Maybe a wide receiver. Because DK Metcalf gets bumped down, that means someone else is going to be available because Metcalf will get taken in the second round. I like all those positions quite a bit more than I do. Or even Irv Smith, the tight end from Alabama. Oh, I like him a lot. Yeah, man. I mean, see, there are going to be numerous options in the second that are of first-round talents. So when you look at the third, though, that to me is that hot zone where guys who might have even been first-round talent running backs, it's just not that valuable of a position, so they're there in the third. Normally, you're looking at developmental guys for any other position except yeah. that one. And uh, you think about Kareem, uh, uh, Kareem Hunt or Elvin Kamara. I mean, yeah. Third-round talents, right? And uh, But first-round-level players, Pro Bowls. Um, so that's where I would look if I were the Vikings. And a guy that I would look for is uh, Daryl Henderson from Memphis, who averaged nine yards a I carry. like him. He was a monster. Home run hitter. Yep. This year. That's the guy I would look for. Dalton Reisner, if he falls to the Vikings at 50, and let's, let's hypothetically say that they take him, because Courtney brought him up last hour with us, what would be the plan there? Would he be able to compete for a tackle spot, or... Is he going to be basically sitting behind Riley Reef for a year or so? Well, see, now i got to root against that, so I want Courtney to be wrong um, because she <laughs> nailed it with Garrett Bradbury. Um, and if she gets two picks right, I, she's going to be out of control. Uh, you know what? With Reisner, you would have depth at, at every position because he could play tackle, he could play guard, he could play center. And so maybe you would go in thinking, let's see Reisner compete with Josh Klein. I'm not convinced mm. that Josh Klein is a good NFL guard. So it's possible. Wait, that say Reisner, that again? Uh, Josh Klein, I'm not convinced that he's a good NFL guard. Why? Uh, because he was cut by his own team running a similar scheme as last year and was actually ranked by pro football focus lower than Mike Remmers last year. Oof, so there's good. yeah, there's not good. red flags there with Josh Klein. And he's a veteran, but mm. if you bring in someone like Dalton Reisner and you have those guys compete, if Reisner wins the job, then great, you drafted a guy who won the job. If he doesn't, that's depth at almost every position there. Even if your center gets hurt, you don't have to move Elfline. You could just slide Dalton Reisner in there. So I like the idea of drafting two offensive linemen and then think about the future. You'd have a bunch of guys who are under the age of 25 years old that you would feel pretty darn good about. But you bring up the offensive line. I, I keep going back to the Colts and what they did last year and just Quentin Nelson and uh, Braden Smith and how they rebooted that old line and going from 56 sacks in 2017 they'd given up to, to 18. I think one of the things I, I appreciate about what we'll see in training camp, Collar, is just the energy in that battle on that offensive line. There was no energy last year going into training camp 
uh, around that old line. Obviously, injuries had a fa- played a factor in that as well. But it feels like we're going to go into 2019 in training camp where you're going to have people battling uh, and feeling like they have something to prove, which has to be a great thing if you're Mike Zimmer uh, looking at that offensive line. Yeah, it's a great point, Myron, because last year out on the practice field as we were watching the offense try to operate against this Vikings defense, as we went along after Nick Easton got hurt, it became more and more apparent that this was going to be a big problem. And, And not that we didn't kind of figure that already, but once we saw Tom Compton in there, once we saw what Mike Remmers looked like moving positions, it had all the makings of a bottom five offensive line, and then it was, and that played a big role in why they didn't make the playoffs. And now, when you go by comparison from position to position, you assume Brian O'Neill now has a full off season as an NFL player and is going in owning that starting job as opposed to trying to win it or coming off the bench in some games early. Klein maybe at least is as good as Remmers or an upgrade because of the scheme. Now, Bradbury, you have a guy who could be a pro bowler or an instant impact player like Cody Whitehair was for Chicago. Elfline was a guard in college more than he was a center, so he might improve there, plus full offseason, healthy. And then you have your your guy, Riley Reef, who is an average left tackle. That offensive line sounds a lot better than patchwork on the right <laughs> side, patchwork on the left side, and a guy coming off an injury in the middle. Yeah. There was a cardboard box at right tackle at some point, wasn't <laughs> <Yes>. there last year? <laughs> or an old refrigerator I, I, I or something I think like you're that? referring to Danny Isadora. Yeah, that's okay. uh, that's about as far as I go with him. What, for both of you, Manny and Kyle, what, what's your dream tonight? 50, at 50. What, who's the guy, if he's there? I mean, he may not be there. But if it all shakes out, you're like, okay, that guy uh, could be the steal in day two. For At 50, Irv Smith for me. I like I mean, him. Man. I, I I like him a lot. Have I said I, that? I, yeah, he's great. I, I like Dawson Knox too. But if you can get Irv Smith in the second round, if he's there, I mean, I've been saying it. Myron Collar has been on this on this in this camp as well. Get as many weapons as you possibly yep. can for Kirk yeah. Cousins. Give him options, and so that he does not have to throw to Laquan Treadwell anymore. I don't want <laughs> to see him throwing to number eleven ever, ever, ever again, unless it's somebody else wearing that jersey number. So. Get Kirk Cousins as many weapons as you possibly can. If Irv Smith is there at 50, he's, he's the guy that I would take. I would say that uh, I, I'll side with Mike Zimmer on this, and I'll say if Greedy Williams drops that Oh, far, my goodness. Yeah. you got to get him. I mean, yeah. Pro Football Focus had him oh, as man. a top 10 talent in this draft, oh. and uh, a lot of people had him somewhere between that 10 and 15 on their big boards. For him to drop into the middle of the second round would be crazy if the Vikings could get him. But I, I would say if all these guys that we were shocked dropped, if they all just go right off the board, there's a wide receiver from South Carolina, Debo Samuel. Yeah. Oh, who man, is I like him. tough, route runner, yep. smart guy. Put him in there. He kind of has all those boxes you look for where he's not going to be the next Terrell Owens or Randy Moss with his physical ability, but he checks off all the other boxes, and he's got that Steve Smith sort of stature, maybe a little bit taller, but that that like thick, muscular type of guy that could step in as a slot or potentially play the outside, and I, I think it's a huge deal, whether it's Irv Smith or Debo Samuel or someone else, to come away from day two with at least one weapon. You get Debo or Greedy, that's a first-round pick. Yeah, you're feeling I mean, great about that. I mean, talent-wise... That that's a first round pick. Why um, do they, why do why do they think Greedy is falling this question. far? So the all I can come up with is that he didn't play as well last year as he did two years ago, okay. and maybe there were some questions about does he really want it and that type of thing. But even when you look at his numbers, 
uh, pro football focus stats, he was still allowing like a 50 quarterback rating on throws into his coverage. And playing in the SEC, that's pretty darn good. Yeah. So, yeah. so I, I look at him as the perfect type of fit for Mike Zimmer. Six foot one, runs a four three. But the other thing about this draft, Myron, is it's it's not just Greedy Williams and then a big drop off. There are a bunch of corners. There's a lot of talent. Uh, Justin Lane from Michigan State. There's uh, Sean Bunting is kind of the intriguing guy coming out of the combine because he's a freak athlete. Isaiah Johnson out of Houston. What about um, Rocky Sin, the best name in the, in the entire? I, yeah, uh, well, yeah, that's right. And uh, Byron Murphy too. Uh, guys who maybe aren't perfect Mike Zimmer fits, but are really good talents. I mean, the, I I'm kind of leaning that way for if. Uh, you gave me a guess what I think they're going to do, uh, and I don't think that's a bad idea because it's a deep position, and it really shocked me that all the cornerbacks fell so far last night. Miles Sanders, I just told you all my theory on staying away from second and mostly third-round running backs as well. But I, but I do think Miles Sanders is a guy where if you don't have Saquon Barkley, meaning if you know there isn't this great shadow uh, that's cast by Saquon, you'd have a guy who, I mean, this guy ran for... Uh, 1,400 yards from scrimmage, was a really good back at Penn State. Just wasn't Saquon. I mean, who is, right? Yeah. But I think he's a guy who, when he finally got his chance after playing behind Saquon his freshman and sophomore seasons, as a junior, he showed tremendous growth. And I think – I don't think they'll take him if he's there at 50, but it wouldn't be crazy to me. If you see a guy guy like that, knowing Dalvin Cook's injury history, you take him and go, okay, our backfield is set. With a guy like Miles Sanders. And that's exactly why I would consider, especially in the third round, going with a running back is just because you don't know if Delvin Cook is going to be able to stay healthy. And I, I hate putting a tag on players to say injury prone. Like he tore an ACL. I mean, that's random. A lot of people right. tear ACLs. Hamstring thing kept him out, but it didn't keep him out the whole season. So I don't really like putting a tag on him, but it is a concern because he also had injuries when he was at Florida State as well. So when you have it going back that far and your number two running back right now after losing Latavius Murray in free agency is Mike Boone, who I think carried the ball maybe five times last year and had a good yeah. preseason. Boone has potential but I do think you need another weapon back there. And, you know, last year I wondered why they didn't use Delvin Cook in more unique ways. And if you have another running back that's exciting and explosive, then you can line up Delvin Cook in the slot for some plays and run a reverse with him or something like that. Um, we didn't see a ton of that type of creativity. I wonder if we will this year if they do get another running back here in the draft. And I'm all for pushing Delvin Cook in training camp. I mean, he knows who he is and what he is to this team, but. You bring in that young Miles Sanders, a guy who's durable, who's tough, doesn't have that natural ability that Dalvin Cook does. I love to see competition at every position, but I love seeing it at skill uh, skill spots like that. I don't see how that hurts a team when you've got two guys who are really battling uh, for plays now. I mean, the Giants claim they have a position battle with Daniel Jones and Eli Manning. <laughs> I think that's crazy, but I still want to hear Collar on what just happened at the sixth pick in the 2019 NFL Draft. We'll talk more about that after this. It's Purple Daily on Score North. Hot takes North cool. ScoreNorth.com. Uh, yeah, I think, you know, experience and playing a lot of football is is, uh, is key to doing that. But, you know, I think any young guy, there's going to be, um, you know, a lot of opportunities to learn quickly, and, and you know, that's going to be expected. So, um, you know, you could be prepared well, and that will certainly help. But, um you know, you, you got to take it seriously, and I'm, I'm looking forward to learning and, and uh, 
you know, learning the system, getting in and, and working hard. Myron Metcalf here back on Purple Daily on Score North, scorenorth.com with Matthew Collar, Manny Hill. Uh, it was Daniel Jones who um, I, don't, I don't even know. I guess I don't know where to start with uh, the New York Giants and, and what they were doing and what Dave Gettleman decided to do. He, here's my thing. I, I think, Collard, right, when you – I mean, reaching it, – it's good when you move up and people are like, yeah, this guy – has that potential to justify where he was picked, right? Uh, Mahomes comes to mind. I mean, everyone wasn't sold on Patrick Mahomes right. uh, when the Chiefs moved up. So you have situations like that where, you you know, when Mahomes was drafted, it was like, we don't know if he'll reach his ceiling, but his ceiling is extremely high, right? Yep. With Daniel Jones, I don't even know if anyone's used the word ceiling because uh, <laughs> we don't know. We don't know. You know, this guy threw for 2,600 yards, a rather pedestrian year how, how does an nfl team and an nfl general manager who claims that he saw him on three series at the senior bowl how do you convince <laughs> yourself that a guy that some people didn't even have as a first round pick deserved that number six slot well there's a lot of interesting dynamics here for me because in one way i think about overconfidence in uh just in life in general um, yeah. Sometimes it could be good. In the NFL draft, it generally isn't. Um, yeah. <laughs> Julio Jones was a good trade-up. There are many, many trade-ups that end up being a bad move. And a lot of the teams now, the Patriots at the top of this, but also the Eagles did do a trade-up last night because the perfect guy, Andre Dillard, was there. But they usually trade down and try to get more picks because they acknowledge how difficult this is all to figure out. I mean, think about... Um, so Teddy Bridgewater gets the injury and all that. But think about a team picks Johnny Manziel in front of Teddy Bridgewater. Teddy Bridgewater blows up his knee and still Sean Payton wants to bring him back and pay him a bunch of money. Johnny Manziel is now in the XFL or the WWWFL in 2023 <laughs> or whatever, right? Like Johnny Manziel was the biggest mess ever. A team traded up to take Tim Tebow. Oh, my gosh, right? Man. Like overconfidence on draft day is a really bad idea. But I would say this in defense of the New York Giants. If it was 10 years ago and all of us maybe had access to the stat page, probably did at that point where we could just Google Daniel Jones and maybe yeah. our lads and maybe Mel Kuyper would talk about him <laughs> a little bit, and that's the way that we judged a draft pick, we probably would have looked at this and said, huh, wow, their scouts must just really like this quarterback. All right, top five or top six quarterback. Good for them. They got their guy after Eli Manning. Now, speaking of overconfidence, all of us are overconfident in our own analysis of these players from the outside. So we go, wait a minute, this website didn't have him there, and this this writer said this, and, and here's the, the analytics and the stats and everything else. So I think it's really interesting the way that we all are convinced based on just stuff that we've read or numbers we've seen, that this is a horrible pick, and it very well could be, and it's got those red flags. But I think it's funny that we're kind of doing the same thing the way we're analyzing this as the Giants are from over-believing in themselves. Yeah, but Kyle, well, to, to, that, to that point, Kyle, there's, there aren't any metrics that justify this, though, right? Like, this is a guy threw for 2,600 yards, 22 touchdowns, yep. nine picks. I mean, this guy, this guy has not been a great quarterback in three years at Duke. I mean, they keep using the word that he's a professional. You know, I know he's got the Manning connection. But there, there's really no there's no number out there, whether it's right. the analytics era or whether you're just looking at raw stats that makes you think this guy, he might be a solid NFL quarterback, but justifying that number six spot, because I think some of the guys you mentioned, Julio Jones, and 
like I think we're cool when people move up to draft freaks, right? Yes. Guys who yeah. you don't know if they can put it all together, but the building blocks are there. Right. This feels like a guy who has nothing that really stands out in terms of intangibles or athletic ability or or you know arm strength or any of these things that make you go, okay, this guy in the right scheme is going to put it together. I guess I just don't. I don't know how you. How you get to this point? Well, from from the stats perspective, you're exactly right because it kind of reminds me of Christian Ponder and just pulled this up here. That's Christ- a name. Christian no. Ponder, when he was a senior, threw for 2,000 yards at 6.8 yards per attempt, 20 Oof. touchdowns, 8 picks. Like, those aren't even good numbers in the <laughs> NFL, and you're playing at Florida State, and yet you're a first-round draft pick, so it does have that. Now, I will say that I am lucky here on the station to do Purple Daily sometimes in the Purple Podcast with Sage Rosenfels, who is uh, a genius when it comes to analyzing these quarterbacks, and I convinced him to watch tape of the top quarterbacks. And what he came away with with Daniel Jones was the high intelligence, the toughness. He didn't have a very good team around him. Now, this argument seemed to work okay for Buffalo last year and Josh Allen because he had the big monster arm. But realistically, that big monster arm doesn't do that much outside of a handful of passes. It's uh, really mostly you're throwing shorter passes, intermediate throws. And that's where Daniel Jones was pretty accurate. And he is highly intelligent, maybe the most intelligent quarterback that was coming out here. And that probably played a role in it. He's more refined than some of the other guys at at this point. So I think from those things, it is possible that they saw the intangible part of it, his intelligence, how he might fit in a modern NFL system, and said, you know what, he was just a victim of playing at Duke against some teams that were way better than him. That's the best justification I could come up with. Usually, if you don't have good numbers in college you don't have good numbers in the NFL as almost a rule. And uh, we do have to adjust those for people who play in the Big 12, but it kind of just meets the standard of common sense. Of like, wait a minute, you didn't dominate in college and you're expected to win in the NFL? How's that, how's that going to work? Yeah. I, I, that's the question, Manny. Are we, is, is that correct? Like, where did you think, Manny, when it was... I was flabbergasted. Like Joe Budden, did you slide to the floor? Like like Joe Budden? I was just flabbergasted. I I thought when Kyler Murray got picked, I thought they were going to take Dwayne Haskins at six. And and I think Dwayne Haskins will be pretty good. I don't think he's going to be, you know, Patrick Mahomes or anything like that, an MVP of the league or anything like that. But I thought he'd be pretty good. And to me, like that seemed to make the most sense. And when they took Daniel Jones, it's like, what? What are they doing? What are they looking at? And another team that I don't understand what they're doing, it's funny that we've got, we had two teams last night that had multiple first-round picks going into it, and they both left last night, left everybody scratching their head. Like, what are they doing? The Oakland Raiders, the, the, the same thing. You take Josh Jacobs, a running back out of Alabama, with the 24th pick, a guy who might be pretty good, but he's not... I don't think he's going to be a stud. Mm-hmm. And you take him at 24, the guy they took at four, they probably could have moved down and still got him. It was just really, really weird seeing both of these teams with all sorts of draft, draft capital in the first round, both just do things that, are, that leave you scratching your head. So the one thing is, uh, maybe it's just because I don't believe in myself as much as other people do when it comes to analyzing these things, is, is you're right that it seems like, a total stretch, and there were some wild things last night that the experts didn't expect. 
But I think, Myron, of all the times we've just been wrong about stuff. And yeah. Uh, yeah. Donovan McNabb is a great example. Now, I grew up near Syracuse and loved watching Donovan McNabb play college football. So when he was drafted number two overall, I, I thought, oh, this is phenomenal. Like, this guy is so fun to watch. But he got booed like crazy. Because the Eagles fans wanted Ricky Williams. And everybody thought the same stuff. Like, this is, oh, why are they picking him? Tim Couch and Akili Smith. Those guys are going to be the great quarterbacks. Caden McNown, right? And those are the other quarterbacks in that draft. And the guy who got booed like crazy that they thought uh, the Eagles were nuts for taking, he's the one that turned out to be the best. So when it comes to Daniel Jones, I look at his numbers and I look at his skill set. I don't see the highest ceiling there. But somebody brought up one comparison that's sort of interesting, and that's Nick Foles, of someone who doesn't like wow you you or blow you away, but he executes the offense and... He's got some gumption to him and is is really smart, and maybe that's what puts him over the top. So there's always a hesitancy for me to go all in on somebody's draft because I also think about the Russell Wilson draft. We all gave the Seattle Seahawks D-minuses for that draft. You got Matt Flynn. Why are you taking Russell Wilson? Are you crazy? (laughs) And we all end up being insanely wrong. There's there's also the exceptions, though, right? A lot of times. It's true. Yeah, Yeah. it's true. We, we, We like to. Here's the problem. You can either go to the exceptions to justify something you've done in the draft, or you can go to the rule, right? It's really up to us, and we go both, right? Uh, but a guy to me, you've got to give me something where you go, he's elite in that. And, and with Daniel Jones, there's, there's nothing there. Like, there's nothing that makes you go, okay, this guy is really good at this, even the Russell Wilsons and the guys who were overlooked, it was yeah. like, okay, he's yeah. undersized. And so there were things where you went, Okay, the tools are there, but there are other physical attributes that make us uh, say, I don't know if we want to get them. Yeah, and in reality, too, some of the times where we're wrong about a guy who drops, like Mahomes or Watson or Lamar Jackson, potentially we'll see, and Russell Wilson, uh, there's something these guys have in common. I can't think of it, Myron, what it might be. Uh, 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 Shoe size? Is it the size of their shoe? Yeah, maybe that's it. Uh, But uh, my point is that, you know... um, this, that never happens to a white quarterback usually, so yeah. it it's usually goes the other way. This has the earmarks of all of that, of a Blake Bortles. He's a big, giant white guy, and he's got a big oh. arm, so oh, draft him. But- it's usually those, the Ryan Tannehill. That one never made any sense either. Hey, this Listen. converted wide receiver who played for a year, Mitch Trubisky, <laughs> they're usually overdrafted, so this kind of fits that earmark as well. Now, there is... there. I, there is something to be said for Pat Shermer being there, though, right? Like if I think if, so, there, yeah. if there are some reservations about Daniel Jones, and I've got my own reservations, but it seems like if there is a situation for him to go into, he can sit behind Eli for a little bit, and he's got Pat Shermer there now. How long will Pat Shermer last there, depending on how good they are or how much better they get, remains to be seen, but... At least there does seem like there's something to be said for Pat Shermer being there, and that, and that could help Daniel. Well, Jones. what's exciting, fellas, is that I got to use the Magic Johnson gif today because I don't I think saw that. Pat Shermer is going to be good. there by that the time good. Daniel Jones <laughs> gets to start. Listen, I love, I love how people are, people are saying everything about Daniel Jones that has nothing to do with talent. Very professional yeah. leader yep. experience. <laughs> but can he play? Can I tell you what I don't care about when it comes to players in the NFL draft? If they're professional or not. These guys are 22 and 23. What does that even mean? 
put on a suit, get in front of yeah. a camera, say the right things, and go play ball. I don't care about any of the other things that you're talking about when it comes to being very professional. Can you ball or not? And for, the, for Gettleman to bring up Aaron Rodgers and say this guy could sit for three years and you never know what could happen. We need to stop bringing that up. But, but the, only, the only way it works, <laughs> Collar, and you know this, and man, you know this, the only way that works is if you have Aaron Rodgers and you have Brett Favre in front of him. Well, you also, have Steve no Young, one's sitting for three years Mike. ever again. Well, that's the thing. It, it's, it's just to me to bring that up and to suggest that that might be a part of his thinking is just ridiculous. Now, and it shows you to me, we do. We get overconfident about our analysis as guys who do this. You know, we look at players and we assume we know more than NFL teams. That, that's true. At the same time, I want to know that my GM knows a lot more than I do about how to pick these guys and knows a lot more than I do about what makes a good player uh, compared to an average player. And there's just nobody saying anything about Daniel Jones other than the fact that he's six foot five and he went to Duke. Which, guess what? When you're on Wall Street, that probably works a lot. You probably get into the firm and you get an entry-level job and you work your way up the ladder, right? That probably works. That should not work in an NFL locker room. You shouldn't be able to be six five from Duke and you get a job as a potential starter in the NFL. That's ridiculous if that's what Dave Gettleman did. And it sounds like that's exactly what he did. And I just can't wrap my head around how silly how really dumb this all seems to be for a New York Giants team that couldn't afford to make this mistake. So uh, there's, a, there's a lot of things that are interesting to me that, that you said there that stand out. And, w- and one is the, the attitude that uh, Daniel Jones brings. And I did watch some of his interviews, listen to his interview with uh, Daniel Jeremiah, on, or maybe it was Bucky Brooks on the uh, Move the Sticks podcast, which is really, really good. And it stands out how mature and smart he is at his age coming out of college, especially when you listen to then Drew Locke talk, who reminds you a lot of Johnny Manziel, sort of Johnny Manziel light, like Johnny yeah. Manziel was over the top. But even just uh, you know some other guys that have come out and been immature. Remember Ryan Mallett just came across yeah. as, as sort yeah. of a, a little bit of a punk and a little bit over yeah. cocky. And I think that there are a lot of ways that we misjudge that uh, Lamar Jackson is a quiet guy, so you go, oh, he's not a leader. Uh, Kyler Murray, quiet he guy. He sounds like Andre oh, he's 3000. Not a leader. Yeah. yeah, Lamar Jackson sounds like Andre 3000. <laughs> That's right, but 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 I I mean, and I don't agree with that way of judging whether someone's a leader or what. Yeah. You know, the wonder lick. Will he be good at figuring out offenses? I don't know, but I do think in today's game, so much of being a good, effective quarterback is just can you execute what you're told to do. And yep. Daniel Jones might be the guy that can do that. I mean, he's probably not going to be the go-off script and run for 20 yards or whatever else, but he also isn't incompetent as an athlete. More to me, if, they're, if you're drafting him, if you're trying to justify it, what you're saying is, we're going to put an offense in place with Pat Shermer that's going to be great and got how many yards out of Eli Manning last year? He had like 4,200 yards oh, at one of his he best was better seasons. better than people realize. So if we could do that with old-ass Eli, then we put in this guy to be the similar executor of an offense rather than a game-changer like Lamar Jackson, Kyler Murray, or even uh, Mitch Trubisky would be the same sort of game-changer on third down. He runs for 20 yards. That's You're going to hope that... Uh, Daniel Jones is more of that pocket guy who has pocket presence and can just execute an offense a la Nick Foles. Yeah, if you get him at 17, right. no, I we're, totally not agree this, we're not having the, totally agree. the same conversation, but when you move up to six, we expect stars. Right. It, it, it's, you know, six should be Taylor Swift. You got Taylor Hicks. Right? That's, <laughs> that to me is, is the problem there. Like you're, you're, you move up to get this guy. You're at six. You get a guy who... 
at six, you've got to be a guaranteed, not just starter to me, not just a guy who can play 16 games at this level, a guy who can be effective. Manny, in three years, we'll look back at the Daniel Jones selection and say what? What the hell was Dave Gettleman thinking? <laughs> exactly. That's still that's For, still my former thought. GM that's still Dave Gettleman, where right? I'm at. Yeah, because uh, I I think I think Dwayne Haskins should have been the should have been the pick there. That's just I mean, if the Giants were looking for a quarterback, to me, he just seemed like the safer, more likely to be successful pick. I mean, he was just he was just better, and I know that doesn't always equate to a, a guy being better in college than another guy. That doesn't always equate to the NFL, but. To me, it just Dwayne Haskins just made the most sense there. If you're going to take a quarterback that high, he just seemed to make the most sense there. So, I, I three years from now, I think we're going to be looking back at this and saying, "What the hell was Dave Gettleman thinking?" Well, we're going to say we haven't seen Daniel Jones yet, right? He's going to sit for three years. <laughs> yeah. um, no, you know yeah. what? I, you know, I think we'll be saying, Myron, long term on Daniel Jones is when he gets to that time with the fifth year option. Like Blake Bortles, like Jameis Winston, like Andy Dalton, we're going to be... Well, Andy Dalton didn't have the fifth-year option because he was a second-round pick. But the same sort of conversation of, well, and we've had this with Kirk Cousins as well, is it good enough to really win with? Yeah. I think that's, yeah. what, that's the type of conversation we're going to have. And what, what I will say, the game that I watched with Sage Rosenfels, he was way in over his head in terms of the other team's talent versus his. And he took some shots... He, it was a it was a game where the, his offensive line was clearly outmanned, yeah. and he stood in there and he showed toughness. And there's something to that. If you're adding intelligence with maturity with toughness, that can overcome just raw talent. And that's why I don't want to go all in and say this is the craziest pick ever. But I still think based on his talent ceiling, we're saying a lot of the same things we say about Ryan Tannehill and Andy Dalton of. Uh, yeah, he's good sometimes, yeah. not good other times, needs a lot around him to win, and it's just not going to be enough to win you a Super Bowl. A lot of things that we said about Josh Rosen last year who, uh, oh, he's got to look for a new home now, uh, put his home in the market because he's not going to be a quarterback for his the His four-car garage, wasn't that the criticism? Yeah, his, his parents were too rich? He's got he's to <laughs> find, find something else. Just, it's, it's just tall people, man. Like 6'5", and you get this thing. Like, you know, you know how funny and, and, and like charismatic you got to be when you're 5'9". You know what you got to do to shake up the world? I feel like there might be some bias you know here what, in this you opinion. You know what you have to do to make the world care about your existence when you're 5'9 and you're 6'5"? Here's the football. Let's see if you can be the quarterback of the New York Giants. That's just ridiculous. This, this sounds like short guy jealousy for me. 5'9". Listen, you got to do a lot of things. You got to have a personality at 6'5". So, yeah, there's some jealousy. <laughs> Jealousy in there. We'll talk more about the NFL draft on Purple Daily after this. Sports talk that leans north. Score north. Minnesota sports. Anytime, anywhere. Scorenorth.com. Myron Metcalf here back on Purple Daily on Scorenorth. Scorenorth.com with Matthew Collar, Manny Hill. We've obviously talked a lot about Gary Bradbury uh, and how great that was for the Minnesota Vikings to get him at 18 solidifying this offensive line, and I'm sure throughout the day, throughout the weekend, next week you'll hear more and more about the impact of this draft. But, fellas, i got to talk about this because I just don't know how you have a show about the NFL without addressing this. Tyreek Hill, Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, Chiefs are in a situation where uh, earlier this week uh, you had a local police official who said that a crime had been committed against the three-year-old shared by Tyreek Hill and his fiancée who suffered a – I believe the kid suffered a broken arm. Um, 
but they didn't know who committed the crime, so there were no charges. Roger Goodell going into the NFL draft said, well, the police won't turn over their evidence, so we've got to make a claim based on facts. We've got to make a decision based on facts. Then this audio recording is uh, leaked yesterday through local TV in Kansas City that showed uh, Tyreek Hill talking to his fiance about the alleged incident, and, and Tyreek Hill threatens his fiance, the same woman who he assaulted in college. Um, and now we're at a place where the Chiefs have banned him from all team activities. And, you know, we're on a path to where the he, he's not going to play football next season, right? He's definitely not going to play with the Chiefs. They most likely will cut him. But my question is this, fellas. How do we get to this point? Like, how, how do we keep making the same mistakes over and over and over again when it comes to extreme red flags? I understand that you get guys where you go, okay, this guy got caught with, you know, a little bit of drugs or this guy got this situation. I understand that young people make mistakes and they'll continue to do so. And it is difficult to project what this means for you in the next 10 to 15 years of your life. But how do we keep getting in situations where guys who have done some of these things, uh, you give them an opportunity because of their talent, and then here we are once again dealing with the same issue with a guy like Tyreek Hill. How does that continue to happen? Well, I find it to be one of the most challenging issues to come up with how I feel about it in maybe all of sports is do you let people like this in the NFL? Because coming out in the draft, Tyreek Hill had an issue where I believe he choked his pregnant, uh, the, the woman that was pregnant through, with yeah. his child. Yeah, yeah same I, woman he's with now. Right. So clearly this person had an extreme issue with uh, violence against women there. And then there was the whole redemption story and all those types of things that we do for every one of these people who are abusers. But I also think think that you know when it comes to these people i kind of believe in second chances but not third chances if that makes sense myron but even as football fans like so tyree kill did another thing that was really terrible and should we if the chiefs cut him or don't cut him should we stop watching football if they suspend him for a year and get him help like, if they don't get him help, is he going to leave football and do worse things? You know what I mean? I think we go yeah. through every one of these sort of scenarios. This person clearly has a severe issue with rage and violence. If he's able to get that help resolved, could you let him back in the league? Like, I go through all these sort of scenarios and think, gosh, if you're a football fan, how are you supposed to look at these things? Because I think a lot of football fans would rather turn away just let me know when it's over. Let's never, ever talk about this. And I do think in terms of societally, it is important to shine a light on uh, domestic violence and things like that and also show as a league that you're not going to accept it. But at the same time, are you going to police everything that everybody does off the field? The NFL has tried to do that and got itself in some really hairy situations. I just think we have to get to a point where we are no longer in sort of a, a denial about these things going on. Like, if you're a Kansas City Chiefs fan, you you can't forget about, like, how talented Tyreek Hill is. You yeah. know what I mean? Just forget about how fast he runs. He's one of the fastest players in the NFL. Okay, but he's got an issue off the field that a lot of people have a lot of passionate feelings about. Yeah. And it's a real slippery slope to to 
factor in to try and factor in, you know, how much talent he has and, you know, should he get another chance because of how talented he is? It, it, it's a real slippery slope to, to go on, man. And, and I just think we have to get to a point where we have to look at what is happening, the facts that we know, what's happening, and take whatever physical athletic ability that this person has. It, you, you just, we just have to put that aside. Yeah. And whatever is going on with Tyreek Hill, whatever issues that he has, that needs to be the most important thing that is focused on. Rather, it's the, the Chiefs getting him help, the people in his life getting him help, whatever it may be, but that needs to be the most important thing. And at this point, it's like, I don't, I don't care if he's on the field. I don't care if he's, you know, how talented he is or anything like that. I mean, that yeah, shouldn't matter. What, what, what this particular issue with him is needs to be addressed and handled accordingly. You guys are both right, and and Kyle, you you uh, spoke to this, it, the complications of it. I, yeah, I sometimes wonder if I'm responsible and culpable in this. In that, I overlooked what Tyreek Hill had done in the past when he was playing well with the Chiefs, and, and there weren't other incidents. So you 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 think you know that the powers that be have done whatever they've had to do to make sure that he was in the clear, to make sure he was a different man, like you said he was. Uh, and then this happens, and it involves a child, man. Mm-hmm. It, it, it broke my heart to hear this audio recording and to hear his fiance saying, you know, when, when your three-year-old does a thing, you punch him in the chest. And Tyreek isn't denying this. He's saying, okay, right. Like as if it's just sort of this, this acceptable behavior. My overall concern is, is this. With all those complications, if you tear an ACL, we don't let you back on the field until we know it's repaired. Mm-hmm. If, if you tear your shoulder up, right, if, if you have a foot injury, guys sit out for seasons, sometimes multiple seasons, until we know without a shadow of a doubt that you are 100% ready to play again. We don't do it with issues like this. What is the rehabilitation process when it comes to someone who's committed de- domestic violence in the NFL? And why isn't that more, why isn't that publicized? Because... If I'm concerned with a guy tearing his ACL and I don't want him back on the field unless I know he's right, unless I know he's healthy, how can guys commit these acts? And there's no sort of process, at least one that that I know of, one that's universally recognized and accepted and promoted in the NFL that says, okay, this has to happen for you to get back on the field. There have to be a team of experts, a group of people who've analyzed you and your life and the things you've done or haven't done before we even have a conversation about you potentially getting back on the field. Where all of that goes out the window for me, even that said, is when a child's involved. A child being involved for me, and if this is true, that he broke this kid's arm, if these things are true, uh, if he's punished this kid by hitting him in the chest and doing all these different things, if you're Roger Goodell and you really want to establish a standard, you ban him from the NFL. And I don't want to see somebody lose second chances, fellas, especially a young guy. I don't want to see guys. I think people can change. I think people who do horrible things can change. I will always believe that, and I'm not perfect, and none of us are perfect. I'll always believe that that's possible. The flip side is a second chance doesn't mean you get everything back that you lost. Sometimes you just lost that stuff, and that's the bottom line. You don't get to go back to that job. You don't get to go back uh, to that family or situation. You messed it up. You can start a new life, but you don't get that other stuff that you ruined. I think Tyreek Hill needs to be out of the NFL, 
and I need to see a process where we go, how do you show me? The way that you show me when someone injures an ACL that they're rehabbing, how do you show me that process with guys like this? It's a great point that they sort of put it aside of, well, you did something, now you're suspended, and now you come back, and what happened in between? Uh, You know, there was the Ben Roethlisberger situation, and they suspend him, but what happened in between? I mean, there there were all these redemption stories that got told about him, and that's cute, but, you know, did we really try to help Ben Roethlisberger understand why what he did was wrong or how to avoid that in the future or what it, you know, what it might be uh, to get him help, really. Because if you do something like that, to me, you need help in the same yeah. thing that goes for Tyreek Hill. And there have been plenty of players in the NFL throughout history. Charles Haley comes to mind who fought you know, severe mental issues through his Definitely. whole career. People thought he was a lunatic, but really he was just bipolar. Yeah. You know, And uh, you wonder about you know, some of these guys too, and we make judgments about them, and we say they are this, they are abuser, they should be out of the league and everything else, and we never ask, wait, so this guy's got to live the rest of his life though. How are, are, what are you doing to help him? If he, do, if he is helped, can you bring him back? Can he get another chance? And I always think, Myron, too, for NFL fans, this is hard. If you want Tyreek Hill to stay on your team still, are you a, a just a terrible right. human being? If you want Tyreek Hill gone, does that make you a good human being? Because you're saying, I'm against children being abused? Like I think this is really tough territory for journalists, but especially for fans who just want to see their team be better and maybe don't want to think too much about um, everybody's ongoing uh, things with their off-the-field stuff, you know? I think yeah. that's hard. It's It can be complicated. I guess I'd like to think with this situation, uh, it's not as complicated as it could be. I uh, hope the NFL and the Chiefs do the right thing. Ma- Matthew Collar, Manny Hill, Purple Daily, thanks for joining us. We'll be back next week on Score North and scorenorth.com. Have a great weekend. Whether it's Baker's Simple Truth Turkey or Mac and Cheese with Murray's English Cheddar or pie made with fresh Cosmic Crisp apples, there are many dishes we look forward to sharing during the holidays. And Baker's has all the fresh ingredients you need to turn today's holidays into tomorrow's memories. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone.